WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. And it's you. It's me. <laughs> I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie good. Baker. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it was really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that. But. <laughs> we have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9. WATD, and my name is Kevin Tachi. want to first say, hope you had a very Merry Christmas. It was a fantastic holiday. We have a very unique show this evening. It's technically a best of, and what we're going to feature are some voices who have appeared on the show also individuals who were an integral part or have been an integral part of this radio station. As you know, WATD is celebrating its 45th anniversary of being in existence, I believe, over the past few weeks or months. The station has been playing back some of the events, some of the interviews and voices that we've had on, and... Monday Night Talk has been a good portion of some of those voices for the past 12, 13 years. I've lost count as to how long the program has been on. But tonight we'll feature individuals from WAT, very recognizable voices. Uh, We'll kick things off with an interview I did with Eddie Perry five years ago. We were actually getting ready on the cusp of our 40th anniversary And around that time, Ed was about to be inducted into the uh, Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So we had him on. He kind of gave us a little bit of a a history lesson about the radio station and how he got interested in radio. So we get to hear that discussion. And then longtime newsman, the late Dave Skill, had a chance to sit down with him. Uh, During this conversation, this very, very unique conversation that we have, Rob Hackler joins me on this adventure to talk a little bit with Dave Skill. We have some sound cuts from other WATD personalities who join us as well and share their thoughts on Dave as Dave comes on the radio program. Uh, to talk as he was on the cusp of retiring. Again, this is like five, six years ago. And then we close things out with someone who's very prominent on this radio station over the weekend who is fantastic when it comes to music. He has been in the Boston market for many years 
notable radio stations other than ATD, uh, being a Kiss 108, being one of the radio stations that he's best known for being on. Ron Dwyer, who does our oldie show here on 95.9 WATD and does an exceptional job. I had a chance a few years ago, right before the pandemic, to do some interviews with him. And it was fantastic. So stay tuned for that. All coming up, again, a best of Monday Night Talk for your Christmas present from myself to you, our listeners. My mother started Brennan's of Plymouth Center 30 years ago. Brennan's Smoke Shop has been the South Shore stocking stuffer destination ever since. Now with 10 going on 11 locations across the South Shore, South Coast, and New Hampshire, it's easier and more convenient than ever to fill your loved one's stocking. Customers must be 21 years of age or older and proper ID is required. Brennan's Smoke Shop, the best stock and stuffer destination in Massachusetts and New Hampshire for 30 years. We've been selling wood pipes, glass pipes, metal pipes, ceramic pipes, acrylic pipes, and the newest silicone pipes. Lighters, ashtrays, scratch tickets, humidors, grinders, cigar cutters, vaporizers, rolling machines, flavored hemp wraps, rolling papers, pipe tools, pipe lighters, smell-proof pouches, stash jars, can safes, digital scales, Zippo lighters, and the best cigars in the world. Brennan's Smoke Shop, wishing you a happy and safe holiday season. There'll be much we now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. And uh, joining us, it is uh, my honor to be able to speak with a gentleman who is going to be inducted into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. I also believe he is going to be somebody who is getting an honorary degree this fall from Massasoit Community College. We have none other than Mr. Edward Perry, our owner here at 95.9 WATD. Welcome to Monday Night Talk, sir. Why, thank you, Kevin. It's, it's nice to be here. <laughs> Is this, this isn't your first time on Monday Night Talk. I mean, I know you've been on our station many times, but did, did Bobby Hedlund ever have you on the, on his program? Yeah, Bob Hedlund and I used to discuss political issues from time to time, but I don't think I've ever been on this program since you became basically the, the lead guy on it. So this, this is kind of an oversight that I think I might be, I might be fixing right now. Okay. <laughs> it's like I don't. It works. It works for for me. Uh, I guess the the first thing I would ask you is uh, out of the box is what's it like to know that uh, you are going to be inducted into a Hall of Fame and that you are somebody that's being recognized with an honorary degree. Well, I think uh, I'm I'm honored on, on both counts. Uh, it's it's interesting though that I am being honored with with both the uh, honorary degree and the Hall of Fame induction for doing something that I really like to do, and that's the good part about it for me is that you get you get recognition for doing something that is fun that I think is meaningful and I think is is necessary for the communities that we serve, or at least I. We we try to keep the word serve in there. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it means a lot to me, to, to both of these honors. How did you get interested in this thing that we call radio? 
Well, I would credit uh, my second grade teacher, Elizabeth Spooner, back at the West Elementary School in Natick, Massachusetts, uh, as really uh, the person who unintentionally got me interested in broadcasting. Um, she was a, she was a very nice teacher, and she used to bring people from the community into our second grade classroom to talk about the things that they did to make a living in the 40s. And one day, she brought in the chairman of the school committee. His name was Paul Ambler, and he did an interesting thing. He was a musician. He actually made his living by running a band and singing, and he came in to demonstrate to the kids in our second grade class what music was all about and what he did with it and how he did it. Well, one of the things that Paul brought with him uh, to demonstrate the value of getting music on the radio was a little radio transmitter uh, and a bunch of radios. And he took the little radio transmitter and hooked it up to a microphone up at Miss Spooner's desk and um, then proceeded to put the radios around the back of the room and turned them on. And sure enough, there we were second graders watching a real radio broadcast, albeit with a little transmitter uh, positioned under the second grade teacher's desk. However, it was impressive, and I decided that I wanted to do that kind of thing. Now, I had no musical ability. I couldn't sing, uh, but... I wanted to become a broadcaster. And so I, you know, I, after, after that happened, I started badgering my parents. I want a transmitter. I want a transmitter. My college, my, my um, father was a college professor at Boston University, and uh, he taught history. And the last thing he wanted to do was to have his kid with a radio transmitter. And so for about a year, they put off uh, my, my continuing requests to become a radio broadcaster. But finally, I badgered them so much that they went out and they bought me a thing called a wireless, a Microvox wireless microphone. It was a little microphone that had a transmitter built right into it and a battery and a little tube and everything. And it would put an AM signal out uh, about uh, 200 yards. And so... I decided that I would, in third grade, that I would institute a news broadcasting system for our neighborhood. And I talked my sister into dragging me around the neighborhood, our street, with this wireless microphone in a radio flyer cart. And I would go as I, I would go past people's houses, and they had the big, made the big mistake initially of having their shades up. And I would report on the, on the radio what was going on in their houses. And um, eventually, they learned very quickly after they turned the radios on because uh, that uh, it was a good idea to put the shades down. And so I gradually went out of the radio news business at least for a while when the shades went down as they heard. The news about what was going on in their houses on the radio. So, what did you? I mean, did you decide to go to college for any formal training to 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 be a broadcaster, or was it a matter you wanted to just make the leap that you would one day own your own station, build your own radio station, understand frequencies, and all of the the minutia 
to owning a radio station? Well, it's an interesting thing is that um, I, I was a, in high school. Uh, I was a geek. And I no. didn't, I, I, yeah, I didn't play football. I didn't play basketball. All I did was make stuff for science fairs and that's pretty cool though. And 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 write stories and poems and stuff like that. And I really sort of envisioned myself, as my parents envisioned me, becoming an English teacher somewhere. And uh, but I, I, you know, and that would have been okay. But I really wanted to get on the radio. Unfortunately, um, back in the 50s, uh, in those days, you had to have the deep voice to be the disc jockey. And if you didn't have a deep voice, and I didn't, you weren't going to get hired in radio. So the answer to that was pretty simple. My junior year in high school, um, for for my science fair project, I built a radio transmitter. And this was a nice radio transmitter. This was a radio transmitter that used my favorite vacuum tube 6L6s. And uh, it was uh, it had 50 or 60 watts of power output. It had a good modulator in it. It sounded good. And it operated up on 1620 kilohertz, which is right above the top of the AM band. And virtually every radio... AM radio would pick it up. FM was just getting started then. Mm -hmm. So everything was AM. Well, we set that uh, antenna, we set the transmitter up at my house in Natick, and we began to broadcast um, to the towns of Natick and Framingham in the evenings. And it was a lot of fun. What we would do is we would put on, um, to get the adult audience first, we would put on a Broadway play, an LP of a Broadway play. We'd play both sides of it, South Pacific, Oklahoma, The King and I. And that would attract the senior audience, the parents who had been to those shows. Mm. And they had the opportunity to hear it loud and clear without commercials on their home radio. So they turned the radios on. And then at 7 o'clock at night, we'd play rock and roll music. And we'd do it from from a, a listener's point of view because we were the kids. Um, unfortunately, we got a little carried away. I got just a little bit carried away because people in school, uh, they had all sorts of, of wonderful things to say about WRAC, which was named for our clubhouse, Raccoon Hall. And... Um, it, Clever. It, well, it was a it was a it was a great little radio station, and the, some of the we didn't sell commercials, but some of the local the, the local radio station in Framingham they got a little nervous about the fact that here we were kids attracting the kid audience, and that um, maybe we would someday become their competition. Mm. Well, we got I got a bit of an ego boost there. <laughs> And we started deciding that we decided to have some fun with some of the high school teachers um, in some of the, you know, the stuff at the high school. Well, we had one algebra teacher. Her name was Miss Anna Finn. And she was a very, very good teacher. But she took no for an answer. Never. That you would do what Miss Finn wanted or else you would be in detention. And so she was a natural target. Well, Miss Finn was, she was a very pretty woman, but she was very large. And so I wrote this commercial uh, that we ran on the air, and it went sort of like this. It was, 
And remember, this was in 1957, only three years after the close of the Korean War. Okay, so this was risque. This was risque for that time. Well, it wasn't risque. It was, I think, persuasive. Okay. Um, so the, the, the ad went like this. Hi, the war's over, but Bethlehem Steel is still in business. No, we're not making tanks. We're not making airplanes. We're not making big trucks. We're not making bridges. We're making consumer items that makes your life easier. We make really good, durable consumer items, furniture, the things that you need for your home. For instance, how do we know our stuff is so good? Well, we make good, strong bed frames. And how do we know they're so good and so strong? Well, we made Miss Finn's bed. Well, that was about it. Uh, Miss Finn heard about that story, and she went to the principal of the high school. The Uh principal of the high school was mortified, and he went to the FCC in Boston and said, you can't let these kids do this anymore. And sure enough, the FCC arrived at uh, at our house, and they had a bad they had badges in those days and they summoned my father at the door and said um, mr perry we want your son to stop doing what he is doing with that transmitter and we're going to shut it down well they let me keep the transmitter but they sent my father by certified mail a very threatening letter uh, telling him that if it ever happened again he would be facing $20,000 in fines and potentially 5 years in jail. Okay. Well my father was a very gentle man. He was well educated, he was a history professor. He never used bad words until he got that letter from the FCC. And then he looked at me and he uttered a group of expletives that I had never heard from his mouth before. And that we can't share on the air, Which we can't we share well, on the air. Well, we'll, so we'll, that was... We'll invoke another fine yeah, from the so that was my that was my introduction to broadcasting. But, boy, it was cool. Because here I was, a geek kid, not an athlete, hard to get dates with the really good-looking hot chicks in Natick High School. But suddenly... I was sought after. Those girls would come by my driveway. They'd come by my driveway. They'd come by the field we used to broadcast from outside, and they'd smile. And then they'd go to the movies with me. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, quite, quite the gig. But you've, you didn't stop there. You, I mean, here we are. We're talking uh, a radio station that you've had on, on the airwaves for what some forty years, close to forty years, well, around forty, 40 years? years with this, almost forty years, thirty-eight years with WATD right now. What was what was your vision for for this? Has has this radio station um, either lived up to or surpassed your vision for it? It has surpassed what I thought could be done with local radio, and it's one of the one of the things that I will I really want to to mention here is that when we decided to start WATD, um, we didn't just build it in 1977. Uh, we built it, um, really, we began building it at least on paper at the close of 1972. When I, when I was um, in 1970, I built and used to own, uh, you know, much of WCIB in Falmouth. It's a 50,000-watt station. I was in my 20s when we built it. And um, in 
at the end of the uh, at the end of 1972, we decided because of you know conflicts with my partners that we were going to sell it. And so I started looking where where can we go? I was living on the Cape. Where can where can we go now? And my wife, who was then my girlfriend. Um, she was working for Shawmut Bank in Boston, and she did bank location stuff, which meant she got she got to know about uh, economics in areas. And I said to her, "Listen, where do you think where do you think we could put a station in an area that's not uh, not fully developed yet, but will get developed?" And she said, "Well, we could look at the South Shore." So we picked out a bunch of towns down here, including Marshfield, Situate, even Plymouth. And we figured, I figured out how to put a frequency, an FM frequency into here, into one of the towns. And then my wife did some research and she said, I think Marshfield is the place to do this because this is where all of the economic indicators indicate that it's going to be at the center of the economic development for this area. And there's no broadcast station in an adjacent town unless you, unless you looked at the uh, station in Plymouth that technically is adjacent to, uh, well, not quite adjacent to Marshfield, adjacent to Duxbury. So really, it was a, um, it was kind of a, uh, it, it was a research project. And in 19, in 1973, we filed the papers with the FCC to take the frequency that was assigned to Martha's Vineyard from Martha's Vineyard and move it to Marshfield and replace that frequency that we were taking with a different frequency. There was a lot of uh, FCC uh, conflict there. Uh, the people in the vineyard didn't want to move their frequency even though they weren't on the air yet. But finally, we convinced everybody to do what had to be done. Um, and in 1977, we received a construction permit from the FCC to build WATD in Marshfield. Now, my idea for WATD was to truly make it into a community station, not just for Marshfield, but for the South Shore. And the model I used was the model that existed when I was growing up in Natick, which was WKOX in Framingham, uh, where they really did a great job on local coverage. They broadcast all of the high school football games they could get their hands on. They were out in the community. They had a local news department. They had special shows. It was it was the model that you could look at and say, if we do that, we can develop a, a local radio station that will have regional impact. And that's what we did. Again, we are speaking with uh, WETD owner Ed Perry. He is also Someone who is an inductee into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame, going in with uh, a, a Marshfield native, Joe Castiglione, I believe, is going to be one of those who's going to be joining you. What's what, what was it like to find out that uh, some of your your colleagues, some of the folks in the business, saw uh, you as somebody who should be in the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame? What was that like hearing hearing the news, getting the letter? Well, I was absolutely thrilled. Now, I should tell you, in fairness, that uh, since its inception, I have been a, I have been on the, the committee for the Massachusetts Broadcasters Hall of Fame, uh, and so I have, I've had the opportunity to see who is getting inducted. Sometimes to have a hand in in picking people that would get inducted, and um, you know, it's always you always say, well, gee, if I'm taking a spot. Uh, and I'm still working. 
Um, really, I'm taking a spot away from somebody who maybe isn't getting the daily recognition that I get uh, as an active broadcaster. So it's it was always a conundrum for me being on the board, uh, saying, "Gee, you know, would I like to be on the? Would I like to be inducted? Of course I would, but." What? But I'd be taking the spot of somebody who who really needed it more, you know, who deserved it more, because I'm still a, trying to accomplish stuff, and they had accomplished stuff. So, I finally this this year they said, okay, um, we'd like you to be inducted, and I was absolutely honored, and I was about to say, yeah, but there are people, other people, and they said, furthermore, we're going to have a uh, the 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 slot that we're going to give you. If you don't take it, we're not going to offer it to anybody else. So I said, I'd be thrilled because at that point it, it cured the, the issue that I'd been facing. And what, what was the spot that you took? What, what is the um, award itself? Or, or how, if I could ask, what exactly are you being inducted for? Is it just being a station owner, being somebody who has been a radio person in the Commonwealth? What is it? Well, I don't really know. I, I mean, I've, I've had so much fun in this business. I mean, when I was when I was working uh, from home, trying to get out, you know, after we sold WCIB in Falmouth, and I, you know, and I, I got to be in my early 30s, I developed a, a company called Educational FM Associates, and what my company did, and it ran out of my cellar called The Pit, an office called The Pit in Duxbury. Creative. Um, we, um, we would do applications for colleges and high schools to get them FM broadcast stations uh, all over the country. Uh, I handled station. I handled colleges in Alaska. I handled the the state of New York, state of Pennsylvania. Went up to Maine, Vermont, all over the country, uh, in virtually every state, um, getting people licenses. And so, if you look back. Probably there are 300 FM radio stations run by colleges and high school that I, that I helped to get licensed. And so I, I guess that's probably one of the reasons. Uh, but also, you know, we've had a lot of fun with a lot of radio stations. We owned, uh, after we built WCIB, uh, we bought a station on Cape Cod or built a station on Cape Cod. We ran that for a while and sold it. We used to have a station in Webster, Massachusetts. We had a station down in Vernon, Connecticut. We had one in Brockton. We had actually the old WOKW 1410. Yeah, we owned that for about four years. And then we sold it to our sales manager who had a wonderful time with it for 10 years. So I, I really have no idea. I mean, I've just had, so, I've had fun with the business. We've been able to accomplish something. And I guess that's probably why I got inducted. And one of the other things is that I have no talent as a as a manager. I'm too distracted. I'm too emotional about the business. Um, so, in fact, some years ago, I changed my my business cards. They used to say Edward F. Perry Jr., General Manager, WATD. Mm -hmm. Now they say ringmaster because i've come to the conclusion that nobody really is going to do what i tell them to do my job now is just to keep the show moving and and it, and that keep works a, keep people motivated yeah well my only talent my really yeah. other than having some technical ability my only talent in this business uh and maybe maybe news coverage too but um my I only going, i was going to say is, is I, I think you're kind of underselling yourself 
anybody who has walked into uh, WATD, walking in the front door, not walking in the TIC entrance, but you see awards everywhere. And I'm sure that you are responsible for a number of those awards that are hanging in the walls and the awards that have yet to be hung. Well... The, uh, the, the, there are many awards that have yet to be hung because we haven't put up the new ones yet because there's no wall space. No space but, yeah. but we're working on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was an English major in, in college, and, and so I can write news. I won some national Edward R. Murrow Awards for news writing. Uh, but that's what I learned to do in school. And uh, what I learned to do out of school was all of the real radio stuff of keeping things, keeping things going. And so my real talent here, I think other than being able to write and and build stuff, is the ability to figure out who's going to work. You know, to pick really good people and to, you know, support them in the jobs that they do. Because really, when you think about it, all we do in radio is we put on a show. It's like a Broadway show. And, you know, the audience, my job is to get the very best people, the people to create the content, the people to deliver the content, then the people to sell the content. Because if you don't sell the tickets, you're not going to be able to pay the cast. So the, the whole idea is to be able to put it together. And I can't do that. I'm too distracted again. But I am able to get really smart, uh, dedicated people um, who understand the business of radio and love it as much as I do, and they are the people who get the stuff done. And so it's it's been working out pretty well, and, and I've been having fun. And it's funny you mentioned <clears throat> because as you're mentioning it, I'm thinking of the the list of people, the people who have who are a part of the WATD family, whether it's the Christine Jameses, the Dave Skills, the Rob Hackles the Kathy D's, the Larry Nelsons, the folks, you know, to even the folks who come in, you know, when it, when when it's darkest, like the Peter Blacks and, you know, the folks who come in here and who do programming that make this such an eclectic station. And you're responsible for keeping all those balls up in the air. Well, and and sometimes, sometimes you drop them, you know. Uh, but the good <laughs> thing is if you hire the right people, they bounce. Excellent way to kind of put it. Anything you want to say in closing as we are coming to uh, the close of this segment, close to Monday Night Talk here? And, of course, our guest for the final segment has been Ed Perry, who is the the owner of ATD and also the uh, inductee into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Anything you want to say in closing, Edward? Yeah, I think it, radio is still a wonderful business. You know, the internet is is uh, is competition, but the the way I look at at local radio, it's the old it's the old song. I, I've forgotten who did it. Pilot of the airwaves, and it goes. The lyrics go a little like this. Pilot of the airways, here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you sound like a friend to me. It's funny and- It's funny you mention that because that's one of my favorite songs to play here on the airwaves with one of with one of your uh, one of your your DJs, that's Mr. Ron Dwyer, who always finds a way to hit the bass note in the song. If you listen to him on Saturdays and Sundays, he'll play that song. 
uh, and I know exactly which one it is, and I can't think of the name of the of the artist at the moment, but uh, Ron will sing to it. So I, I'm sure he will. But the, the the bottom line is that radio is still. You know, you hear people talk about, hey, that's my radio station. Mm -hmm. You don't hear them say, oh, that's my Internet uh, connection. You don't hear them say, oh, that's my television station. Radio is a personal medium, and if we do it right, we will sound like a friend because we behave like a friend. Because people can call up here and they can say, oh, my God, I'm having a yard sale. I'm doing this or I'm doing that, and uh, I need some help, I, I, you know. I'm doing a fundraiser. I've, uh, you know, that that's what we're here for. We're using the public airwaves, and when we use the public airwaves, uh, we've got to serve the public. Well, you've done a great job for nearly 40 years, and I'm sure you're going to be around for you know, close to another 40. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Are you worried about your drinking? Or is someone else worried about your drinking? Alcoholics Anonymous has a solution. There is no shame in living with a disease called alcoholism. Regardless of your age, employment, or any other circumstances in your life, you deserve help from other individuals who understand what you are going through. Alcoholics Anonymous is here for you 24-7 at aa.org. Find online meetings at aaboston.org. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. You know you're the mastermind. We have a very special guest for this segment, this gentleman, a colleague of mine here at the radio station, who has been a very important part of WATD for some 30 years, very instrumental in a lot of the stuff that's done in the WATD newsroom as he has done somewhere around 60,000 newscasts. Some of them, of course, in the morning. But there have been times he's done afternoon shifts, he's done weekends. That all comes to an end uh, in just a couple of days as he'll transition out of the newsroom to more of a part-time role at WATD, whether it's fill-ins in the newsroom maybe a couple of air shifts, whether it's during the weekday or on the weekends. Who am I talking about? None other than Dave Skill himself. He's going to be here for this segment as well. We have some sound cuts from some folks here at the station and on the microphones chiming in, kind of being my co-hosts. We have uh, Rob Hackler of the South Shore's Morning News, who has worked extensively with Dave, as well as Ryan is here joining us, Ryan Stanton, and they will be here to chat with us about Dave and uh, working with this fantastic guy. We'll start with you, Rob. Welcome back to uh, the program, and thank you for joining me to share some thoughts and some memories about uh, our good friend, our colleague here, Dave Skill. Thank you. Great to be here. And and absolutely, of course, I want to honor Dave. And it's good to be on your show, Kevin. Well, not as good as being on your show, Rob. South Shore's Morning News with Rob and Lisa. And Ryan, of course, Ryan is another one who is is leaving. But he'll also be here as well. But Ryan, one of the younger 
uh, folks who works here, he could be a part of the segment as well. And we'll have a little sprinkling of some of the folks that you have worked with, Dave, over the past 30 years. Uh, welcome officially to Monday Night Talk. This is your, your very, hopefully it's not your last stint. But <laughs> first and last. Yeah, yeah your first your first stint. And I want to take a couple of moments just to give you time to discuss your, your career. I mean, here at... 959 WATD. Well, I'm not used to doing things in the evening. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it is kind of dark. Mornings. It is. It is. It's the opposite dark that you're used to. It is indeed. Um, it's been a long 30 years and a fun 30 years. Um, there's a great uh, line in uh, the movie Good Morning Vietnam. It's only radio. And it is only radio. But it's been fun for 30 years. And I want to thank specifically Ed Perry. Ed Perry was the one who got this all started. Basically what happened was back in 1984, I started volunteering for the Talking Information Center in Marshfield, and they were based at Library Plaza in downtown Marshfield. And then Ed built the WATD building here on Enterprise Drive, and while he was getting WATD ready to go, TIC, the Talking Information Center, was up and running, and I was working there just weekends because I had a, a regular job during the week, and Ed walked in one day and said, you know, you sound pretty good. Have you ever thought of being on the real radio? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I told him I had done college radio, and I worked at a radio station in Worcester while I was in college. And he said, what about weekends? And I said, that'd be great. So I ended up doing some newscasts on the weekends, some DJing on the weekends. And then my job in computers where I was working went away. I knew it was going away because I was told that uh, they were making some changes, but my job was perfectly safe. And that's when I knew the end was near. And in fact, in uh, the fall of 1989... I came on board with WATD as the morning news guy, and I was quite honored to do that because most of the time when you start a radio station, you start doing overnights or weekends or something like that, and I did do some weekends. But to be the morning news guy right off the bat was, was interesting and quite a challenge, and uh, it's, been, it's been very interesting over the years. And uh, one of the things that Ed said to me when he hired me, he says, well, here's the deal. That's when you know you're in trouble. Mm. Here's the deal. <laughs> you do news for 25 hours a week, and you sell advertising for the rest of the time. So what I would do is I would come in in my casual clothes, and I would do the morning news, and at 9.30, I'd run in the bathroom and put a suit on and go out and try to sell ads. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you were like the WATD Superman. You would be Clark Kent in the morning. That's right. And then I'd put my Superman or my Superman suit on, and I would go super out and... Super salesperson suit on. Yeah, well, I wasn't a super salesperson. I did okay, but... It, it wasn't my favorite. I, I, you know, I like. It's interesting. I like the part of sales where you service clients, mm. <laughs> but the the going out and banging on doors saying, "Do you want to buy an ad?" I'm not very good at that. So, the clients that I've had over the years, and I've had several clients, really for more than 20 years, the South Shore Music Circus, Family Pet and Garden Center, as Rob would say, up on the hill on Route 53 on the Hanover Pembroke Town Line. I mean, they've been longtime sponsors, and I love working with these folks, and it's just it's just been fun, but. The idea of selling was not to my liking necessarily, but I did it, and it worked out okay. And then over time, I kind of got out of sales, and I spent more time doing the news and also having an opportunity to do feature series. And over the years, I've done feature series on all the Boston Harbor Islands, lighthouses, lighthouses. Quincy Quarry, Irish Moss, Irish Moss. Shovels. We did, Shovels. We did yeah. the Shovel Museum Shovel at factory. Stonehill College. Uh, we did a, a series with John Buckley from the Plymouth County Registry of Deeds, oh. remarkable residents of Plymouth County's past. and uh, Simpson Spring. We did Simpson Spring. In fact, I was talking to John earlier this week, or, or late, late last week, I should say, and we're going to be doing more features with John, um, remarkable residents of Plymouth County's past, 
and uh, that kind of thing, and, and colonial history in preparation for 2020. But I also had a chance to do some DJ work, occasionally filling in during the midday show. And I'm a big oldies fan, and so Ed has allowed me over the years to do my favorite, doing oldies shows, whether mm. it's the Beatles or Motown or the 60s girl groups, whatever it happens to be. So usually once a month I, I kick Ron Dwyer out and uh, I take over his shift and, and do uh, do a Saturday show or in the holidays like Memorial Day, Labor sure. Day, Columbus Day, when the other when the DJ wants the day off, mm. I say, I'm here. And so I'll do a, a specialty show, and that's been a lot of fun. Talk to me about working with Christine James. I've been working with Christine now, I think since about 1990, and it's interesting. We work together, but we don't work really together. We're like two ships passing in the night because if I mm-hmm. do the morning, she does the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And for a while, she was doing some mornings, and I would do the afternoon. So we don't really spend a lot of time together. The time that we spend together usually is, you know, what have you got for me for the afternoon? What are we doing for tomorrow? And Christine and I have sort of set up a plan where you don't just live day to day. You plan out. Like on Monday, I'm planning for the rest of the week. Mm. And uh, and Christine and I have always worked together, and we share the responsibilities. I mean, she's the boss. She's managing editor. But titles don't really mean an awful lot around sure. here, to be honest. No, no, it's just another hat to wear. Yeah, basically. And, and so we, we've been working together. And, and traditionally, I do mornings. She does afternoons, and she likes that. And one of the things, we always try to help each other and be supportive and over the years, we've had a lot of young people who have worked with us. Thank you. And they come and go. People like you. Yep. They come and go. Uh, some stay a while. Some stay not all that long. But Christy and I have always kind of been the two anchors, if you will. Not meaning news anchors, but anchors of the news department. Right. And a lot of people, young people, what happens is they either are really good and they get a job at some big station. Like we had a young guy from Sitchwood, Aaron Katursky, works at ABC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Laurie Kirby, who was the news director for a while. She works at WBZ. Of course. Um, yes. Steve Burns, a young guy right out of Emerson, and W-M-A-L. he wasn't even with us a year. And uh, he ended up down at WMAL in Baltimore as a news anchor and, and news reporter. So, But then you also have people who say, you know what, I thought this was going to be fun, but it, you know, I don't think I like it. And they would get out of the business. I mean, they, they might join another company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a young woman who left us and became like a paralegal at a law firm. But anyway, over the years, we've had a lot of people come and go and come and go. But Christine and I have always sort of always been here um, to kind of hold things together. Well, I thought it would take an opportunity to – that's why we have Rob here because Rob's going Rob's gonna to have an, a moment to, uh, to kind of talk a little bit about work with you guys, maybe share some stories. Now, it'll just be small because I know later this week you guys are going to do a little bit more of a, a conversation – uh, before Dave has his big uh, send-off to the oldies. Yes, yeah, so it's Friday morning. I right know you're, you're working on that right now. Yeah, yeah, we're working on a the nice, Dave Skill roast. A nice month. No, 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 roast. It's going to look Dave Skill. This is your life. Really, the fun moments of uh, 30 years, and unfortunately, we don't have most of those uh, years. Uh, tried to acquire as much uh, audio as we could back to try to get a sample of uh, Dave working with the different hosts over the years before right. I arrived. No kidding. Well, what I what I will what I'd like to do is is we're talking about Christine, and if we could, I think what we want to do is we want to play uh, Christine. Actually, I asked her if she would give us a a little something uh, to share about you, Dave, uh, if you will, sir. Well, hi there, Dave. It's Christine James. How are you? Dave and I have worked together for over 25 years. Actually, I think it's about 26 years. And Dave knows what I'm going to say because he amazes me. A 
the man never sleeps, and B, the man never naps. In all the years we've worked together, too, he's taken two sick days in all these years. One of them, I don't remember. He insists that he took it, but I think he may be making that up. Anyway, Dave is not really retiring. He's semi-retiring, which means he'll come in here and he'll be doing some fill-ins for us, which we like. He'll get to sleep in, so I know he actually does sleep, and he'll actually get to do a lot with music because I know music is Dave's first love. And you know how I know that? Because when he doesn't think I'm watching and he's doing his oldies special shows, he's in there lip-syncing to the music, and sometimes when he really thinks I'm even out of the building, I even catch Dave dancing a little bit. So, Dave, sing, dance, lip-sync to your heart's delight, even though you're not really retiring, you're semi-retiring, and we will see you around here now and then. Enjoy late mornings and a little bit more time off. You've deserved them. Christine James, WATD News. The managing news editor of uh, WATD, That's Christine right. James, and that was thank you, Christine, for for giving me that uh, the little uh, sound bite. Now I had a chance. Now you said you did sales, right? I, I I do some sales. All right. So what was it? Did you ever have to sit in on? I heard a lot about those sales meetings. Have you ever had to sit in on those? Yes, for a while. Christine and I used to have to go to the sales meetings because Christine uh, does a few things, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to say that uh, it was torture. It was absolute torture. I, I mean. I just found that not a lot got accomplished, and uh, we had some wild fights. It was just it was just not a pleasant experience. Um, in fact, after a sales meeting, I was ready to say, well, you know what, I think I'd rather be out selling than <laughs> go to the sales meeting. But I'm not a big meetings person. The, the place that I worked before, a computer company, we didn't have meetings. You, you, your boss gave you something to do, and if you had a problem, you went to him. And when you were done with the project, you gave it to him. But we didn't have a lot of these meetings, which I find to be time waste, just to be honest. The Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome back. You are indeed tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. A best of as we are heading into our number two as we continue our interview with late... WATD newsman Dave Skill. Thought I would take time again to, to go around and talk with a couple of different people, people who've been here for a while. And so, what I thought I would do is, is I would uh, tap uh, a, a fellow salesperson, also a gentleman from time to time who grabs the megaphone and does the good, the bad, and the really, really stupid. Uh, Mr. Bob Parkus weighed in when I told him that uh, we were doing a little something to chat with you. What can I say about Dave? Well, uh, <laughs> he always showed up, I can say that. He was never late for lunch. And boy, could that guy pack it away. The newsroom was always chock full of empty Chinese takeout, crusty pizza boxes, and, and not a shred, not a shred of incriminating evidence. I got to say, Dave never appeared inebriated on air. I don't know how he did it, frankly. And now, I'll never know, because he's gone, and he's taking his secrets with him. The always creative Bob Parkus. Now, it's interesting. <laughs> now, now, 
For people who know Bob Parkers and have seen Bob Parkers, Bob kind of looks like Santa Claus. Yes. Well, Bob and I actually graduated from the same high school. No Archbishop Williams. Williams. Archbishop Williams. I mean, Bob, I think, was three or four years ahead of me. So I was at Archie's one day because my wife was teaching there, and I got a hold of the yearbook from Bob's graduating year from high school, and he was this clean cut and short hair, no beard. Something happened over the years. Really? Something happened over the years. And it couldn't have been at Stonehill College where he went. It must have been after that. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, and I see Bob, and yeah, it's interesting. Bob uh, Bob shows up about 7 o'clock in the morning, and he's here until about 10 and then disappears. Yeah, I have no idea. Tomato, with his tomato <laughs> juice. And sometimes he goes on a bicycle, and sometimes he goes in his van, but he, but he goes. Which reminds me, I do want to say one thing. Bob said, you know, I was never late for lunch. Um, I was late for work once, back in the 1990s. I overslept. No. Luckily, at the time, the news director was Bob Stone, a graduate of Emerson, and Bob lived at uh, Fox Run, which is now, I think it has a different name. And I called him and I said, Bob, you got to help me. So he ran over and covered for me. But that's the only time I was ever late. 30 years. In 30 30 years. years. And it's true about the sick days, right? I mean, I I never remember a time when you've... I've never had a sick day since I've worked with you. That's amazing. I think that's great. And that certainly says a lot about, you know, showing up and doing the job and yeah. dependable and being there. And setting and setting the alarm for 3 or 3.15. And, of course, during stormy weather, oh you boy. would set the alarm for maybe 2.30, 2.45 because you just never knew um, how the roads were going to be. I mean, you're not worried about traffic in the middle of the night, but you're worried about the roads. And that's actually the reason that I'm, I'm stepping down. It's not that I don't love what I do. Mm-hmm. I do. But And if I lived 10 minutes away, I wouldn't retire. But I'm just finding as I'm getting older that it just bothers me, and I get sort of tense about, sure. hey, if I see the forecast and for four days out it says snow's coming, I get nervous. Yeah, yeah, because you've you've lived it. You've been out. You've seen what it's like to try to drive in here. You've seen people spinning out, and you know what it's like to try to get you've in through the parking it, lot right? to yes. actually get in the building and how dangerous it is. It, it can be, yes. In fact... Um, you know, I mean, I have seen spin-outs, and so the answer was, well, then don't drive in it. So the answer was to sleep here. Oh, yes, and how enjoyable was that? Oh, that was goodness. not... So anyway, um, when Bob Stone was news director, Bob lived at Fox Run, so if it was going to snow, I would stay at his place and just trudge through the snow <laughs> down Enterprise Drive to get in the building. But then he left us, and I was out of luck. So my wife said to me, I'm going to get you a cot. And so... <laughs> So we ordered a car from L.L. Bean. Wait, that's, is that leaving with you? I was going to start using that. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I was The, the Dave School <laughs> Memorial Car. Anyway, I would, what I would do is if there was snow coming, let's say there was a snowstorm coming at 4 o'clock Monday morning or 3 o'clock. Sunday night, I would drive down here before the snow with some food, and I would sleep, you know, or attempt to sleep in my L.L. Bean cot with a blanket and sheets, but you never sleep well. Yeah. And... Uh, it's not so bad if you do it like once a year, but sometimes, you know, two years ago, the winter we had with all that snow, I was here for like three or four nights. Yeah. Not in a row. I think it was two nights in a row and a night and a night. But in 30 years, that had been a, that gets old. It gets old real quick. It gets old real quick. I figure on average, I probably had to sleep over on average a couple of times a year, which yeah. is a couple of times too many. Yeah, you've done you've done. It I've too. done it too. I actually slipped down downstairs on an say, air mattress and... Le- yeah. And one night, a couple of mice ran by me. I'm like, whoa, what is this? It was, yeah, it's it's interesting. Even the mice get cold. Yeah. I they, think they I've, really I've, I've had to do it once. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, no. I think you not... tried to sleep in your chair, didn't you? I tried, yeah. I, I should have gone with a cot. 
<laughs> well, use Dave's cot. No, you know, Dave was used it. You know what's interesting? Over the years, whenever it snowed, it was always one of my mornings to work. I've noticed that. It always seemed to be my morning. It never, never snowed somebody when Christine. Else's. It never snowed when Christine was doing a morning. I can't figure that out. I know. Out. Yeah, you're right about that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Dave Skill. And, and and just to be on the safe side, the cot is not leaving this building until December 30th. I'm not taking any All right. chances. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so later this week, it'll be gone. If if you will, we got one more a person, Jack, uh, Jackie McGoodwin. Oh, wow. Uh, somebody else who's been here for many, many moon. A little longer than I have. Hi, I'm Jackie McGoodwin, and I've worked with Dave Skill for over 30 years, and it has been a pleasure. Dave, you have been great. We have enjoyed many laughs together. I always enjoyed watching you leave with your mattress rolled up under your arm after two long days of giving storm coverage to everyone on the South Shore. Our kids have grown through high school, college, adulthood, and we've always had some wonderful stories to share. I will miss you, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck for you and Carol. Oh, wow. That again, that Jackie McGoodwin uh, with a, a little sign-off for you. It's very nice. Thank you, Jackie. And, and, uh, now I want to get, get to you two guys. Now, when did you, how long have you, uh, Rob, been working with uh, Dave Skell? Well, uh, the show, st- I came on... Uh, full-time in November of 2000 around the presidential election, and I worked at that time with Aaron Katursky in the morning briefly, and then he was kind of at the end of his career here. Now, Dave had done the mornings primarily, pretty much had been the major morning guy pretty much for the last 30 years, right, Dave? Right. I was doing five days a week uh, for a number of years, and then they made some changes, and uh, they took me off mornings, and then I was doing middays and some afternoons, and uh, then what happened was, uh, you know, with Aaron and you, Um, I was basically relegated to doing middays. I was doing a lot of court coverage and reporting from on scene at fires and accidents and things. But then Aaron Katursi came up to me one day and he said, Dave, I hope you didn't throw away your alarm (laughs) clock. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm leaving. And so I think Aaron only did this show for about four months. Yeah, it was not that long. I mean, he had been here a little bit before I had gotten here. But, uh, you know, we changed over the show and implemented the new format at that time. And then uh, he moved on, and Dave got a little chance to see what it was like to sleep in a little bit. A little uh, bit. But then uh, took on the five days again, which was great. And you you said, yeah, you'd be happy to jump in. And so you've been, even though I've worked with you, Kevin, and Aaron, and Steve, and Christine, and and Dodrell, and other people that have done the Morning News Inc., primarily it's been Dave Skill who's had the majority of those days, whether it be five, and then four, and then uh, in the last few years it's been about three. Yes, uh, we've kind of cut it back. Christine sometimes would do one or two. Kevin would do one or two. And I found that working three mornings was nice because it gave me a chance to be on the radio. It also gave me a chance to, you know, spend time at home and sleep a little bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm about 2045. I'm hoping to cut down to three days a week, too. Are you really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably well, won't happen. But, you... yeah, but that was, it's been great to work with Dave Skill. And, you know, obviously going through the storms, I think about a lot of our storm coverage that we've done over the years where we've kind of just hunkered down. And Dave, is, you know, you know, we're doing the, we did the school cancellations when that was a lot more, you know, of, when radio was the only way to get that a lot when we started out working really before the internet took over and we would be in there all morning long and of course you know one of the um you know b- big days although it's such as you know to think about was really nine eleven was the day that and i think that was the time when 
I'm not sure if uh, was Aaron still here, but he went away or whatever. But I think you were like well, the only one in the newsroom. I was. And had to end up staying the whole day. Yes. Um, I had come in for the morning, and about a little before 9, we had the television on, and we saw a report of a plane going into one of the Twin Towers. And the assumption was, oh, it's a Piper Cub or something, not a big deal. Well, we discovered it was a huge deal. Mm. And it was one thing after the other with the planes, and then... Uh, it was one of those days where you just didn't know when it was going to end. Yeah. And so, basically, Rob came in and helped me. But, yeah, I mean, I was on the air basically from 5 in the morning until about 7.30 that night. And uh, Ed Perry brought in all kinds of people. He brought in an airline pilot. He brought in a psychologist. He brought in a whole bunch of people to kind of comment on this. But, again, we were flying by the seat of our pants. We had no idea how this was going to end. Yeah. And again, we're speaking with uh, the great Dave Skill, uh, master of uh, the news department, and uh, also a man who uh, loves his music. I know when I'm when I'm on with uh, Rob from time to time, and there's uh, somebody, uh, you know, somebody from a, uh, a '60s girl group or a British band. We think of you, Dave. We think well, of you, you. and like, what would what, a, what, what would, would Dave what say? What would Dave say? Right. When yeah. we do celebrity birthdays, I'm always happy when we have people from the world of music, yeah. whether it be. You know, it might be Mick Jagger or it might be Paul McCartney, something like that. Give us a good Dave Clark 5 story. Tell me about the drums out front. Oh, yes. Now, Dave Clark 5. Dave Clark was the drummer, and most bands have a drum kit in back. Well, Dave Clark apparently had an ego thing, and he put his drum kit (laughs) right smack in front. Well, is it? It's it's not the band and Dave Clark, it's right? But it's Dave very Clark unusual. Clark. I mean, Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr had his drums in the back, and most as did most, you know, drummers. Yeah, but those are the kind of things that I've loved. Dave has obviously added a lot to the music conversation. He mm-hmm. knows a lot, plus about history, and really the features have been fun because I've gotten to kind of um, you know assist Dave in helping to you know listen to some of the audio that he puts together, and that's been a lot of fun to listen to all those features, uh, whether it be you know the the the, the Toll House, you know, in, in Whitman to, again, talking about the prominent places in history and the lighthouses and the Simpson Spring and the, uh, what, the Granite and Quincy. And, you know, it's been great. And that's really been a nice... I, th- I think those have been really wonderful, David. And, and I Great think compliment you, to the, the yeah, money shop. Yeah, in addition to, you know, doing the newscast, it's kind of given you a more of a creative outlet. And, and, and Yes. Who am I going to go to for, for the box office um, on Monday morning? Who? Oh, Dave. actually, we're going to break my replacement, Dan McCready, and we're going to let Dan get settled for the first few weeks. <laughs> Basically, my understanding is Dan is going to be doing afternoons just to kind of get into the groove. And then probably in January, uh, he will uh, he will be doing mornings. And I told him that, uh, yes, part of your responsibility is to do on Monday, you have to do the box office results, count all those ticket stubs and come so up with it. So it will live on? So it, it will live on. So that newsroom's going to be, I mean, because you, you clean right up after you count all the ticket stubs. I do. Is he going to be I hope so. enough I hope, like he's, I hope he's nice and neat. Okay. Yeah. I hope well, so as well. That'll remain to be seen. Now, I want to bring in, uh, you know, Ryan. Ryan, who has been sitting here quietly being part of part of the, uh, the show. I mean, you have transcended not only some of the folks who have been here for 30 years, but younger folks like myself. And Ryan, Ryan, what's it been Everybody's like? Everybody's younger than me. Are you kidding? A little bit. <laughs> Except for Red. Ryan, what's it been like working with, with Dave? Uh, it's been, it's, you know, Dave and I don't really work together that much, but Dave's definitely... Um, shift passing in the night? I, yeah, same thing with, you know, when I am in the newsroom, it's the uh, afternoon shift, and, you know, we'll 
inform each other on you know what what's going on. Dave will tell me what he uh, what he left me for the afternoon. Which can is I always, always leave nice. him a lot? Yes, you do. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, no, it's been great. You know, I've I've just been in the newsroom for the past year part time, and um, working with with Dave has been good. He's taught me a lot. I've listened to his newscast to see you know what you know the format and 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 working with Dave has uh, been a pleasure the the past year and and even before that, just getting to know him over the five years that I've been here. Well, thank you. And same here. I've learned a lot from you. Uh, my inception into the newsroom a, a decade ago, being able to go from being a, a town hall reporter for election results to, you know, learning how to be able to write scripts and, and do raps and, and voicers and get an idea of, you know, the the grind of the morning and being able to be a dependable part of the, the morning team or, or whatever it may be. Well, that's true. And that's another thing. Dave has really been great at working with almost everyone that has come into the newsroom, um, helping. I think you've, Dave, have worked to try to make the reporters better reporters. You've helped to make the writers better writers and the anchors. You've given them tips and you really will take the time because I'll see sometimes I'll walk by and the phone and Dave will be on there trying to help out or emailing them tips and you'll you'll take the time in order to to help you know and i think that says a lot about being a good team player well i think it's probably my teaching background i mean i was trained as a teacher and i actually taught at northeastern university uh, evenings for a number of years and so i do like and i did some training uh when i worked in the computer industry i, I trained people on s- computer systems and i'm the guy that writes all the instructions on how to do stuff in the newsroom because um, if it's not written down, it, it's kind of hard to communicate with people. And I just want to say that anybody who works at WATD in the newsroom, when they go anywhere else, it's always easier than working here because we do – nobody does news the way WATD does. It's, and it's something that I'm very proud of. I mean, we cover all the towns in the area. I mean, you know, Rob, we do storm coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, people rely on us. You can't rely on a newspaper. Um, you have to rely on us. And so when it's, when it's storm time – it's crunch time for us. We've got to get the information out, and we work with a lot of the emergency management folks in the in this area, and, and it's really worked out well. And, I mean, I always feel that we're part of everybody's family. We're like part of their extended family. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's, you know, they're, you know, letting us into their homes and cars, and, and we, we really appreciate that. Rob, I want to thank you for sitting in on the segment. we got, like, two minutes left before we wrap up. Jerry Thornton, of course, uh, on deck. He'll be in uh, from Barstool Sports. Talk a little, <laughs> talk a little sports here. Uh, but uh, I want to, again, can wrap up our tribute to our, our good friend and, and colleague here, uh, Dave Skill. Uh, anything you want to say in closing? A tease, folks, about uh, this coming Friday uh, as to what you're going to do. Uh, how many bloopers do you have lined up right well, now? Well, no, I mean, I mean it's not going to be all that thing, really. Um, there are some fun bloopers that we can laugh around and maybe, you know, have some fun. And I'll maybe give Dave a copy of that when he leaves as well. He can take that home and have some fun with it. But really what we're going to do more Friday is kind of let Dave wrap up his last official newscast uh, as far as his regular schedule. And that'll be the 9 o'clock news this Friday. Then we're going to let Dave have a chance to just kind of uh, talk directly to the listeners who have uh, welcomed Dave into their homes and cars for right. all these years and then what we'll do is kind of take a look back and like i said i wish we could wish we had the archiver like we the have now that i can pull up yep. everything but i've got some stuff uh with dave and kathy d when kathy d did the mornings and we're gonna have some stuff when steve mason hosted in the mornings sure. and uh, some stuff uh more from the recent years as well because dave doing that has actually worked with a variety of people david through the uh, times in the morning we have. I mean, I worked years ago with a guy named Joe McMillan, who down does our imaging. You hear Joe in a lot of our commercials. That's right. And, and, you know, and then I worked with Kathy for a number of years. And Kathy and I used to have a great time together because she would always pick on me because we would talk about my, 
you know, experiences with gym class and shop class in high school and how inept I was. And needless to say, she loved doing that. Well, Dave, I've loved working with you. Thank and, you. and I thank you for all the knowledge that you have uh, have shared with me. And hopefully I can share it with uh, the next uh, young, bright-eyed uh, news reporter who comes in here and uh, be part of the newsroom, hopefully for the next 10 to 20 years and, and uh, keep up... Uh, your name, and of course, you're not going anywhere. From I'm not going what away. I, from what I understand, is this Friday really isn't really your last no, day. It's as, just your last day being, you know, a, a full time uh, news anchor uh, right. here. You're, you're going to go on to rocking and rolling. And well, as a matter of fact, the day after the retirement party, I'll be back here doing an oldie show. Of course, yeah, that's I love that. That's a retirement. Well, it's the shortest retirement in history. Dave, we're going to miss you. How can you miss me if I won't go away? Well, we, we thank you for coming in and doing this segment here on Monday Night Talk. Can I go to bed now? It's getting late. You, you, yeah, because you, <laughs> you actually have to get up in the morning. Yes. So we thank you for coming in, and Rob also, and Ryan for being a part of it. And, Thanks, and also the other folks who also shared, uh, Christine, Bob, and uh, uh, Jackie, who shared uh, their thoughts and sentiments. And uh, Dave, this isn't goodbye. It's just uh, we'll see you tomorrow. All right. So this is Christmas. What have you done? Another year over And you won't just be gone And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The Each year, about one out of two men and one out of three women will develop cancer. But there's good news. Today's cancer survival odds are much better than two or even three years ago. Things move that fast. So if you're diagnosed, be sure to have someone in your corner who is on top of all the latest cancer treatments and techniques, the latest research, the newest equipment, all the newest medicines available through clinical trials. And speaking of corners, here's more good news. Advanced cancer care is now just around the corner. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare treats patients locally with all oncology services and specialties conveniently housed under one roof. The center is affiliated with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, so you'll be seen by Harvard medical faculty physicians and oncologists. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare in affiliation with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Cancer has just met its match. Find out why at mysignaturecare.org slash cancercare. You like my new car? I like that new car smell. What is that infernal binging? Oh, it's part of the driver assist. Standard equipment nowadays. Assist? Yeah, watch. Hey, cut that out. You're, you're way too close. Yeah, it's, it's telling me that. See the text? Watch out. What was that? You were driving too close. That truck snapped back a rock. And now I have a cracked windshield? You know, your mother was a way better driver assist. Please, kindly check your windshield. I'm Peter Brown from Tiny and Sons Glass. We replace your windshield and insurance pays. 1-888-64-TINIES. Just call. And thank you. Follow 
Monday Night Talk on Twitter. Start at 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And don't forget to add hashtag Monday Night Talk to your tweets. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome back to the final segment of Monday Night Talk. I finally say this every show because it's, it's kind of, it's true. Don't laugh. Stop. You're not supposed to laugh yet. I, I'm just anticipating what you're going to come out with. Well, no, I equate the show to like, like when you go to a restaurant uh-huh. and the first smaller segments of our program, because it's an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. The first two are like on. They're, they're kind of like appetizers. You know, maybe you get a soup and some stuffed mushrooms. Yes, this is the show to eat by. No, no, hold on, no, hold on, stop. So seven to seven thirty, that's when the entree is served, oh, and you, my fine feathered friend, get yes. to be the dessert portion of the program. Would you like to see the wine list, sir? <laughs> now that fantastic voice is a gentleman that you hear here on the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday. Oldies with Ron Dwyer, but Mr. Dwyer is somebody who has been in Boston radio, would you say 50, 55 years? How many years would you say? Five decades? Less than 55, more than 50. Okay, so we're in the ballpark. And and Ron has been a good friend for many, many years, and and we've shared many a laugh. Well, I know you're a good friend because you uh, force yourself to laugh at my jokes. Was that a joke? Should I laugh now? You can laugh now. But Ron, Ron is one of these guys, these gentlemen. You may listen to the radio from time to time, and you know it's not the way it once was. When at least you get background on the people who are performing the music, how it was put together. Right. This is a gentleman who gives you he gives you deep background to something that may have been a b uh, it may have been a b side or you know it was a b side that that you know what was actually became more popular than the a side. He has that kind of institutional knowledge, and he's again a, a gentleman who I listen to on Kiss One Hundred Eight. Uh, uh, I also, you know, from time to time, those who are old enough to remember, he even made a crossover. Time to time, you would hear you would hear him on uh, WLVI Channel Fifty Six, where he would do certain cut-ins and do voice certain I, things. I would do the promos. I would do public service stuff. I would do the IDs. And, and, of course, he is going to be very instrumental once we get the 1510 WMEX up and running. He is going to be one of the uh, the regular guys, one of the regular air personalities that you're going to hear on uh, on our little conglomerate, so to speak. Yep, it's true. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. And the idea of having Ron in is, you know, my understanding is, is that nobody's, they haven't, Crack the code of Ron Dwyer. They haven't, you know. <laughs> crack the code? Well, they haven't done like a, an autobiography. They haven't sat down and done kind of the, the, a biography on you. And You know, I've never done a show like this before. I've never done an interview program. So I'm, I'm, I feel privileged. You are, you are the first. And you get to be on the dessert por- portion of Monday Night Talk. Absolutely. So I, I have to ask you right out of the box. You know, when what came first, actually? It's almost like the chicken or the egg. Your love for radio or your love for music? Uh, probably my love for, well, I have to say definitely the music. Because I started listening to music when I was about three. And uh, I, I think back and I said, how do you remember that? I, I don't know. It's good memory. Because my favorite song from 1950 was Music, Music, Music by Teresa Brewer. Mm. <laughs> and then I liked... Uh, uh, all those mid-50s things, before the rock and roll thing really started. 
I was listening to the old standards. I was listening to Perry Como and Frankie Lane and Peggy Lee and all of these people before the R&B stuff started to take over in the mid-50s. So I had a background in that kind of music first, and I liked that music. I, when I was a kid, they, they bought me a little record player. It was one of these little plastic jobs, you know, had little steel needles in the tone arm, and they bought me kids' little records, little 78s. They were pink and orange and yellow, and they were made for kids. And I used to sit there and play these records over and over again out of a little speaker in this little plastic record player. So that's how I started with that. Well, when did you know you wanted to be a broadcaster? When did you know you wanted to be on the radio? Uh, I was in high school. A friend of mine who was a couple of grades ahead of me in school wanted to go into broadcasting. And all I wanted to do, I'd, I'd go over at his house uh, on a weekend, and I'd, I'd have a bat, ball, a glove. I said, let's go out and knock a few down at the, at the field, you know. And he'd be sitting there in his living room with his tape recorder, hmm. and he'd be watching a Red Sox game uh, broadcast by Kurt Gowdy. He was doing play-by-play. And he'd have the sound turned down, and he would broadcast the game by what he saw on the screen. And I would stand there and just shake my head, and i say, what a waste of time. Because I told him one day, I said, you sound like a poor imitation of Arthur Godfrey. You know, here we are, and it's Frank Malzone coming to bed. I said, you don't know how bad you sound. I said, put that stuff away. Let's go play ball. All right? And uh, he was serious about going to broadcasting school. And at the time, there was a school out there called the Cambridge School of Broadcasting which had morphed eventually into Cambridge College. But they were originally a broadcast training facility in in Boston. And they had an open house, okay? And he wanted to attend this because one of his favorite air personalities, Bruce Bradley, was going to make an appearance. Bruce, who did evenings at BZ. And that was his hero, right? So we attend this open house, and we're sitting in front row, and the people who own the school are giving their pitch, blah, blah, blah. And here we have the turntables, and here's the board, just like in a real radio station. And I'm looking out the window. I'm sitting on the end, and I say, it's a really cold day. It was St. Patrick's Day, as a matter of fact, 1961, St. Patrick's Day. And I'm looking out the window. It started to snow. And I'm just looking at the snowflakes coming down, not paying attention to anything this guy is saying. And then he says, here he is, bring in Bruce. And Bruce walks in. And I look at my buddy. He's almost salivating. There is his God, right? And Bruce is doing a pitch for the school. Of course, he's paid to do it. Mm. And he's telling little stories about things going on at BZ. And he says, I wonder if I can still do it. And he cues up a 45 RPM record. He says, well, I did that in less than 10, 10 seconds. Haven't lost the touch. And I went, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> and then it was time for the tour. They put us on a bus and took us over to uh, the HDH studios. And they, we toured the, uh, the, the television facilities over there. And after that, we went back in the bus. We went over to Soldiers Field Road to BZ to see the radio facilities. And it was very impressive. Right? We walk in, and there was a guard. They have a guard standing in front of the door to Studio A where the broadcast was going on. And we all crammed in there, and we're, we're looking through the window, as I am to you right now. And who was sitting there doing the show? Jay Dunn. Mm. He did the midday at BZ. And he looked like the typical jock of the era. There was a certain way they dressed. You had to wear a dress, white shirt, nothing fancy, right? Loose tie around the neck, and you had to roll your sleeves up halfway up your arm 
because you didn't want to get any dust or dirt on your sleeves. So I said, look at that. There he is. And Jay Dunn is saying, oh, we have some visitors today from the uh, Cambridge School, blah, 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 blah. And I'm watching this guy, and I said to myself, this guy's having a ball. Here he is. He's king of the hill. Right. He's in charge. And I said, and they pay him to do this. Was he one of the guys, though, that you, there had to have been somebody that uh, that you listened to, you're like, oh, my goodness, I want to emulate, or you know what, if I became a a DJ or a radio personality, I'd want to at least emulate some of what this individual does. That never happened. Okay. I never thought of anybody like that. Okay. There were, there were people you'd see on TV like uh, George Fenneman with uh, Groucho Marx. People say, I want to be like him. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> because he's a sloppy speaker. He goes, yeah, will you come in, please? What? He doesn't say, would you come in, please, and meet Groucho? And I said, I wouldn't want to emulate that. You know what's funny is, is, and folks don't realize this, but you have a tremendous ear when it comes to, to music. Uh, and, and my understanding is, is that from an early age, you knew hits when you would hear them, so much so that you actually had a local record store owner who recognized it, and, and uh, tell the story, if you will. Yeah, there was one central location in, in the city where uh, if you wanted to get your records and you wanted to get them fast, this guy had them immediately. So that's where everybody went to buy their 45s or albums or whatever. And the first time I went in there, I, I had the you know typical rock and roll grease haircut. I had zits, you know. And I'd walk in, I'd say, do you have such and such? And he'd go, what? I said, I said such and such. And I said, oh, you, you'll be hearing about it. You'll be ordering this tune. And I said, when it comes in, you better get about 200 extra copies because it's going to sell like crazy. And I said, you see this one over here on your playlist? I said, forget that. It won't sell. And he looked at me like, this kid's crazy. Well, after a couple of months, he found out I was right. So he used to, he used to wait for me to come in to compile his, his order list from his distributor. You're kidding. No. I hope you get a residual out of this. I have nothing. Not a thing. Nothing to show for it. No, nothing to show for it. Other than your good looks. But uh, to, to get back to something earlier, so I'm watching Jay Dunn, right? And it just hit me. I said, that's what I could do. That's what I want to do. I said, the guy's not working on a chain gang breaking rocks. He's not busting his hump doing this, that, or the other thing. He's sitting there having a good time, and he does what I love to do, listen to music. And I said, that's for me. So from that moment onward, I decided... I'm going to learn to do that. So what I did was I went out and I, uh, I bought a tape recorder. And my friend, who wanted to be in the business, he had this huge attic in his home. And uh, we'd go up in his attic and we would practice doing radio shows. And we, we'd put the tape on, we'd start the thing. And we didn't have the money to buy the top hits. So he sent away to buy these cheap imitation copies of all the, the current pop hits you know, you don't know who these people were. They just did copies. Of, and that was our library. And I would use my tape recorder, and I would tape sound bites off legitimate newscasts on the air. So the first five minutes of the one-hour broadcast was devoted to doing a newscast. So he would sit there. He would read the news out of the newspaper. All right? We didn't have real copy. So he'd read out of the newspaper, and I'd have the drop-ins, the sound bites, and I would drop them in off my tape recorder. So it sounded like a, legit a legitimate newscast. It flowed. And then, and then we would flip-flop. 
You know, he would he would play records, and I would spin the records, and then we'd change places. I would do the news, and then he would uh, spin the records. And we did this for months at a time. This went on oh, all winter long. We're practicing doing an imitation radio show. So that's how I first got introduced to the technical aspect of radio. And uh, <clears throat> when he graduated high school, he attended a broadcast school in Boston, and it's no longer in existence, hasn't been since the 60s, Leland Powers. The school was world famous for radio, television, and theater arts. And they had specialized people who taught aspects of radio. This guy would teach television, and this guy would uh, would be a he's a, a director. And you'd, you'd do radio plays, or, or you would do live shows. You would do Shakespeare. Every three weeks or so, you'd rotate, and you'd have a new assignment, and you're on stage performing as an actor. And that was the aspect of that school. Well, he graduated, and because I was two years behind him, uh, I was going in as a freshman. It was a freshman-senior deal. So I went in there as a freshman. And my, my first day in the studio with a piece of copy, I read the copy, and I walked back in the room because they critique what you do. And he said to me, you've done air work, haven't you? I said, no. <laughs> he says, come on. I was so far ahead. So polished. I was polished because I had worked at it. I had worked on developing good speech skills, the whole thing, so I'd be ready when I get out in the world to do it. I wouldn't have to learn anything. It would be there. So that's how that came about. Well, what's also, and we were speaking with a legendary broadcaster, Ron Dwyer, who you can hear Saturdays in Sunday afternoons, and soon you'll be able to hear him exclusively on 1510W. MEX. Color Radio 1510. Yes. Yes. And of course, Ron uh, with us uh, probably for another uh, 15 minutes before we close out the show. But you have a tremendous memory. I don't walk in when you're, I've had the, the privilege over the years of walking in and, and watching you as you're going from one track to another and you sharing details. That's and, because. And why, how are you able to know all this information? Because I do the research on the tracks. Is that See, it? If, if I find something interesting, I will delve into it. I will look for background on okay. the material. Stuff that the average person wouldn't be familiar with. Because I figure it adds interest to the program. You know? But do you not have a more... Is, is there a little bit more of a gift involved there as well? Uh, like, having, a, like your memory? Do having, you not? having a good memory helps. Is because, it photographic? Uh... Well, uh, uh, I've had people take pictures of my memory t- many times. They say it's very, very admirable. <laughs> and they said, yeah, very good-looking memory. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm easily uh, influenced by certain songs. Other songs, if I don't care about them, I don't show any interest. But you know, certain groups, I had favorite groups. I, I loved the Drifters. I loved the Four Seasons. I loved uh, the New York doo-wop sound. So I learned all I could about Dion and, and all these other individuals. And I would learn the background from them if I had the chance to speak to them. Okay. I spent an hour one day in Boston. He was there for a He had come up with a book called The Wanderer. And I spent an hour with him at the bookstore asking him questions about the sessions. He had no recollection. These people, they don't remember anything from those days. It's, it's, it's a blur. You know? Would you mind indulging me? If, if I was to play something, would you mind indulging me? As most of your audience doesn't know, unless they have a good air mm-hmm. and that they've seen you, I'd like to play a song. And if you would, yeah. would, you, would you share some of your vocals? Because I know you love to sing. 
And yes. if, if folks listen, there are certain songs that Ron plays that he has a signature anchor bass vocal. Am I wrong here? No, you're not. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be honest with you with you folks as you tuned in here. There's been times that I've actually called and asked him to do it, and he's done it. And I do get calls from people that say, "Play this one and sing with this one." And I said, "Oh, you caught that, huh?" Because I would try to blend in with with the background vocals. They they pick me right out, and I say, "It seems there was a hole in there that should have been filled with something." So mm. I I had something okay. to it. Well, I want to thank Tim McKenney who helped me uh, as far as do some research and and make part of this happen. So I have three songs. I'm gonna let you pick a song. Yeah. As to one that we'll give a little bit of a sampling. We'll, we won't go all the way through. Mm. But you'll get your choice. We also have a treat for folks, something that you actually put together. Because one of the other things that I like that you've done over the years is how you like to make a song your own. And we'll get to that in a moment. Mm. But here's the songs that, that I have right now. Yeah. I have Sam Cooke, yeah. Chain Gang. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned Chain Gang earlier. and was right. played it underneath. Um, I have Pilots of the Airway. Yeah. And I have Ricky Nelson's Traveling Man. So if you had a choice of which one of those that you would tease our audience. Well, well, Gilligan, I'll tell you. If I, <laughs> if I had a choice, I would spend the evening in the hut with Marianne, and you can play checkers with Lovey. So there. Uh, traveling Man. All right. So without any further ado. Here we go. Featuring Mr. Just a little tease, Mr. Ron Dwyer on Anchor Base, Ricky Nelson's Traveling Man. I'm a traveling man Made a lot of stops All over the world And in every port I own the heart Of at least one lovely girl I've a pretty senorita Waiting for me Down in old Mexico Very nice. Yeah. So I just fit right in there. You fit right in there. You, nobody would know. Ed Bowen was working an assignment one day, and uh, the Jordanaires were there performing. And backstage, he was telling the guys how I add an additional bass line to their songs, whether they be backing up Elvis or Ricky Nelson or whoever. And they got a big kick out of it. I thought they'd be upset. Like, how dare he step on our toe? They thought it was great. Really? Yeah, the Jordanaires thought it was a very novel, interesting thing to do. I think as I teased just a moment ago, so, so one of the, my favorites, especially when you used to do uh, Thursday nights here on WATD, and they'd be right around, I would say about, around 9.34, 9.35 p.m., you would play some Lorne Green. Yeah, I know what you're getting to. Um, uh, I, I did it one day, and uh, I think it was in the afternoon, actually, the first time I did it, I played Ringo, and uh, the the boss, the owner was up at the tower doing some work on some equipment up there. And for the fun of it, I said, let's see if he's listening, right? And I played Ringo, and it came to the, the point at the, at the end of the song. He says, he lowered his gun, smiled, and said to me, we're even, friend. And I said, I'm going to drop something else in there instead. So I played it. What are you doing? I'm just sneaking oh, a little oh, okay. Ringo in the background. Okay, sneaking up on me. So he lowered his gun, smiled, and said, and I dropped in the Shangri-Las, when I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. And he called me and he said, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
and I knew I was on to something. So I created a whole series of Ringo songs with drop-ins. And then it expanded to other areas. Right. I would take openings to television shows. My favorite was The Invaders. Oh, yeah. We got, we got, we'll got we play that in a second here. Yep. But just, uh, just folks have never heard Lauren Green's Ringo. I'll just play a little bit snippet right now. Yeah. I knew someday I'd face the test, which one of us would be the best. And sure enough, the word came down that he was holed up in the town. I left the posse out in the street, and I went in alone to meet Ringo. Ringo, Ringo. Just a, just a tease, it's just, just, just a smidge. Yeah. Now, now, and it, we should probably a little owe to uh, the late Rich Mahenna, who I think uh, he may have... A, he might have done a couple of uh, samples for you here and there, correct? Yeah, he tried to do it, too. Yeah. But Richie <laughs> didn't have uh, the, the balance, and he used to drown out the vocal with his own vocal. I said, oh, Richie, you've got to show the balance. You have to fit in and not overpower the vocal right, on right. the air. You know. So we, we get about 10 minutes left to our segment here, but I want to give an opportunity before we get any further into your career, talk about uh, yep. your time uh, in Boston radio. Yep. Tease us with this this version, that uh, this special version in regarding the, the Invaders. Okay, I, I watched The Invaders by accident. It was on one day, and I, and I caught the opening riff where they explained the concept of the show, what it's about, what you'd expect to see. And it went, it's 55 seconds long, and it was done by a Hollywood performer, uh, known better for his voiceover work in the industry than for being a, an on-screen talent. Although he did show up occasionally. He'd play a sheriff in a western. He'd play a, a dramatic guy in this. And you'd never know who it was till he opened his mouth. He had this big, threatening, booming voice. You know, it was the voice of God giving you doom. And his name was William Woodson. Okay? And I listened to him, and I said... Listen to this guy. He threatens you to death, and you are scared because you know the aliens are going to get you. They've come to take over the Earth. And it opens up with uh, the alien beings from another world, blah, 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 blah. I said, man, i got to watch this. So I got into watching the series from listening to him do the opening of the show. And I said, wait a minute. I'm going to branch out from Ringo. I'm going to do other things. I'm going to do movie teases movie promotions and do my drop-ins because I love to use the uh, Looney Tunes characters, you know, Daffy and Bugs and the whole troop. And I said, I can do something with this. He's supposed to overpower you with menace. And I said, let's lighten it up and use the Looney Tunes characters a little bit. And let's do that now. Let's play, uh, this is uh, from uh, the, the one and only. The opening to the series of The Invaders. Hey, what's coming, say what's coming off here? The Invaders. Huh? Alien beings from a dying planet. Things are tough all over, Doc. Their destination. Pittsburgh. The cave. The Himalayas mountains. The Earth. Don't give it a second thought. Their purpose. To see the hard diamond act. Mix radish juice and carrot juice. Violate the sanctity of the American home. To make it their world. Why the noise with them guys? David Vincent has seen them. Now, just a minute, Doc. You gotta get up early in the morning to outsmart this rabbit. David Vincent has seen them. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. David Vincent has seen them. <laughs> of all the stupid suggestions. <laughs> 
David Vincent has seen them. Get yourself a hobby. David Vincent has seen them. Go away, Mark. You're part of me. David Vincent has seen them. You are a mental case. David Vincent has seen them. Seen them. Seen them. David Vincent has seen them. That settles it. David Vincent has seen them. I'm here right. For him, it began one last night on a lonely country road looking for a shortcut that he never found. What an ultramaroon. What an ignoramus. <laughs> it began with a closed, deserted diner and a man too long without sleep to continue his journey. It's bedtime. Sandman's waiting. It began with the landing of a craft from another galaxy. Better get at least a million miles to the gallon. Well, get back in that little spaceship. Now... David Vincent knows that the invaders are here. Ooh, I'm dying! That they have taken human form. Despicable. Somehow he must convince a disbelieving world that the nightmare has already begun. Ah! Shut up! You doggone crazy idiot! How does a nightmare begin? Mix radish juice and carrot juice. The invaders. <laughs> You get the idea. So how long, let me ask you this, how long did it take you to put this together? It takes a few hours. You have to pick out the right tracks and arrange them to answer certain things that he says so it makes sense. It's, it's logical in the way it's laid out. But the fun is in the preparation of putting it together. That, that's, that's the fun of it. And it's it's you've done this many times, not oh. only for this, but like you said, this is kind of an extension of yeah. how you did it with Ringo. And, right. and you've, there were other Lorn Green songs that you also... Yeah, tweaked as well. Yeah, I do other Lauren Green stuff, and I said I can't just can't stay with Ringo, so I take other tracks from his albums that he did. Did a number of albums way back when, and I said I'll take this one and uh, I'll use this one over here. And uh, Waco was one of my favorites. Right, it's a great tune, Waco. And I would use drop-ins on Waco, and people would start making requests. Do the one where he does such and such, or do this one. You know, they like it. It's entertainment. When did you talk about your first job in radio? How did you get? Was it something where it was tasked, whether it's stacking records? Or did they recognize your talent instantly? Uh, I went uh, to local hometown radio station because the rumor was circulating at the school hey, they're looking for somebody at this station, right? So I hightailed it down there after class and I walked in and I, I talked to the, the, the head guy and he says, no, we're not looking for anybody, but as long as you're here, take an audition. I said, oh, okay. So he says, here, these are some records. These are the, And I went in, and uh, he says, this guy will, will, will take the records over here, and you just do some voiceovers and talk and blah, blah, blah. So I, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> it caught me completely off guard, unprepared. And I said, I'll never talk to this guy again. A month later, he called me. It was on a Saturday morning. One of the guys had left. He was working part-time. He found a full-time job somewhere. He says, we have a slot open on a weekend. Um, I'd like to try you out. So I went in, and I said, don't listen to my show for about a month till I become adjusted. And he said, okay. So four weeks later, he says, fine, doing a fine job. And from there, from weekends, it grew to weeknights as well. So I had a full slate. I was going to college by then, full-time, doing six... Uh, six courses and I said oh, it's a heavy load so I, I'd leave college go home rest up for a couple of hours I had a five and a half hour radio show to do at night Wow! and, and all day on the weekend and it stayed this way all through college I was working 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 in fact uh, by around Christmas time my first year 
Uh, I got a call one night from a guy who says, I'm the program director at WKBG-TV. They were KBG in those days. And uh, Chris tells me that uh, you'd be good for the booth. And I went, what? (laughs) See, a friend of mine who I worked with at LYN um, landed a job doing an afternoon kid show at KBG-TV. And uh, he he would do little science tricks and he'd show cartoons. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he, he had a little mascot. He had a little German Shepherd with him. That was his mascot. And uh, he they originally had him doing this, doing all the booth work, recording the daybook for the next day. And he says, "Wait a minute, you hired me to do the kid show, not to do that too." They said, "Do you know anybody?" And he says, "Yeah, this guy." So I got the call one night. It was the December the twenty third. And he says, uh, you interested? I said, yeah, sure, I guess. And he says, come in tomorrow morning and do the sign-on. They signed on at 8 a.m. And he gave me the address. It was down on Commonwealth Avenue, the first location of the studios. And I walked into Master Control, and there's the, the switcher, and there's the audio guy. I said, I'm here to do booth. And he says, the booth's on the other side of the wall. There's a headset. You can talk to me through the headset. There's a monitor. And when I say cue announce, you just open your mouth and read what's ever in the day book. I said, okay, fine. So for eight hours, I did this. And at the end of the shift, the head guy calls me and says, come in Monday, we'll talk. So the following Monday, this was over Christmas holiday, I came in and they hired me. So I was the first regular booth announcer at uh, old Channel 56 way back when. Wow, fantastic. And now how did you get into uh, Boston, the Boston market itself? Uh, I was working at my my first job, the small market station, and one day uh, I got a call saying, we don't need you anymore, don't come in. I went, what? What, what did I do? I, I, what, yeah, exactly, what, what did I do? I do? I did nothing. I did some uh, behind-the-scenes digging. They did it for my benefit because the guy knew it was time for me to move on and move up. And I said, that's a fine way to show it. Just kick me out on my keister, you know. So I said, i got to try this station over here. So I called up for an audition, and they were looking for a summer replacement announcer to handle all the vacation shifts that were coming up. And uh, I went in, and that was on May 2nd, 1967. Wow. Yep. And I went in there, and uh, it was in Park Square because WEZE, which is the wonderful world of music in those days, was in the Statler building. It was the first floor in the corner. And uh, it was like a restaurant. You could walk by, peer in, see people doing the broadcasting and all this. So I walked in the main entrance, and I went, am I out of my league? Because the salespeople were walking around wearing $600 suits. And I said, this is uh, not what I'm used to, you know. And they had a, a gorgeous girl sitting at the front desk. She looked like she belonged in Vogue magazine or something. And I went, whoa. So the head announcer came out. He took one look at me sitting there. And his eyes rolled back in his head. He says, I'm going to waste my time with this kid looking for a job. Because they had a steadfast rule. You had to have six years major market experience or they wouldn't talk to you. Is this is this RKO or is this or is this KISS? This was EZE. EZE, okay. I'm talking 1967. Just want to make sure okay. we're, all, we're all on the same page. And again, yeah. we're speaking with Ron Dwyer. And uh, uh, so he says, well, come into my studio. He had his own private studio. And I looked at the board, and there was a tape deck in there, and he said, these are, these are fader pots. And I said, I've never done faders, but I'll adjust to it. He handed me some UPI wire copy and a couple of spots. And uh, he says, just put this together like it's a newscast. And I said, this is all you want? And he goes, yeah. And when you're through, hit the stop button and come look for me. Little did he know. 
So I looked at the news copy, and I looked at the ads, and I went, ice cream, right? So I, I rolled the tape, and I did it, and I stopped it, and I found him, and he came back, and he's like, oh, God, here we go. And he sat down, he, he rewound the tape, and he started listening to it, and after two minutes, he stopped the tape, and he says, uh, I'll be right back. I have to talk to our program director. I knew I had the job. Wow. He wanted to go have this guy listen to this. So we played it for him, and he came in, and he says, uh, yeah, we can use you. Summer replacement. Wow. And uh, when I went back to school after the summer was over, I stayed on weekends. I used to work all day Sunday. And um, by then, I, I had left uh, the, the small-time station a long time ago. So I, I was working Sunday, and I was still working the Channel 56 stuff. And I was busy all the time because after school, I would travel from college home, grab a bite, into Boston I went to record the day book for the following day. So I was busy. All, I had no spare time to myself. It was always work, 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 work. But I was lucky because there was work to be done. A lot of people, you know, never had that opportunity. So I was working at the, at the television station and the radio facility at the same time. So all of that that you did with you and your friend back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. Paid dividends. It sure did. It paid dividends. Um, what other what, what other adventures did you have in Boston radio, whether it was other radio stations, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff? Because folks don't realize that a lot goes on behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, some, some of the best stories, the funniest stories are the ones that you never hear about. And uh, the Channel 56 stuff was great because... During live broadcasts of sports events, they wanted me there live in the booth in case something technically went wrong, which mm. happened all the time. And uh, I said, why don't I just put it on a cassette? You can play it. And I said, no, no, we want you there live. So I had to go in. They had the contract for the Bruins and the Celtics. All right. So, so one night they're doing a Celtics game, and it's halftime. And I'm sitting in the booth, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for an, I get an exam the next day, a history exam. I'm trying to cram for this thing. I'm wearing my headset so I can hear the director. And I'm reading, blah, 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 blah. And next to me is the monitor, the video monitor. And in front of me is a, a copy book, and it's got a big lamp over it. And I said, why do they have to make it uh, the seventh layer of hell in here? There's enough heat coming from this monitor. It's a tube monitor video monitor, the lamp bulb was 150 watts, and when they shut the door to that little booth, it's like, uh, it's airtight in there, and I'm starting to sweat, and I'm stripping down to my underwear, I'm just sweating to death, right, and uh, so it's halftime, and, and, and Bill Russell is talking to Red Auerbach, okay, this is 1967, and I'm uh, I hear in, in, my, in my headset, Booth, Phil, and I look at the monitor, and I can't believe what I'm looking at because <laughs> in those days, the signals were controlled by the telephone company, and somebody over a telco was pulling patch cords left oh, and no. right. And for whatever reason, they fed us the Channel 38 feed, their video. So we had the proper audio. So you're listening to... Uh, well, Bill, what are we going to do in the, in the third quarter? Well, Red, I'll tell you, we're going to do this, 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 and we're going to tighten up over here. And I'm looking at the video, and Channel 38 is broadcasting a caveman movie. Oh, no. And you got these long, shaggy-haired guys in loincloths, and they're holding torches, and, and, and they're dancing around a fire in a cave. And you hear Bill Russell 
talking to Red Auerbach. And so I said in my headset, I said, what would you like me to say? <laughs> they said, cover any way you can. So I said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, we're experiencing video difficulties with our broadcast. We will uh, have this uh, taken care of very shortly, so just bear with us. We'll continue with the audio portion. <laughs> I'm thinking, as you watch this caveman movie. What brought you to WATD? How did you find yourself here at WATD, I was uh, I, I was working down doing a weekend thing down in the Cape, and uh, it was owned by the man who owns this place. Ah. And uh, he came in to do some uh, technical work uh, on the board down there in the studio. And uh, he and uh, he was with Larry, and then Larry he says, "This guy sounds like so and so." They come walking in, <laughs> and I'm holding the board. They have it folded forward so we can get at the guts of the board. And I'm holding the thing up while I'm doing my show. And I'm saying, someday I will learn to laugh at this. And, and Ed is on his knees under there fixing something in the board. And uh, he says, you ought to come up, come up and talk to me at the station here. Maybe we can find something. So I came in one day, and he says, yeah, we have a slot open for you. Night's here. And uh, he knew I was the guy because he knew that I knew oldies because we did oldies at night. Right. So that's how uh, I came aboard here back in 93, January 93. My I came goodness. aboard uh, WATD. Long, long time ago. Long time ago, yeah. Um, so are you excited for MEX once that finally comes on air and that that's that, once that is broadcasting? Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. The only disadvantage is that it's still on an AM signal. Because the FMs, you know, rule today for music. Sure. So we're going to have to be pretty darned exciting and interesting if we're going to draw people away from FM music back to the AM sound, which is what they grew up with eventually, uh, and essentially way back when, when AM ruled the airwaves, because MEX was a powerhouse in the market with Arnie Ginsberg and uh, Fenway and Dan Donovan and Mel Miller and uh, Mel Melvin X Melvin and the Gold Platter Show, the good guy radio days, you know. So we're gonna just going to bring that, that sound back again and catch the older listeners who grew up listening to their favorite pop songs on AM bands. So it should be a lot of fun. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And anything that we haven't touched upon, but if you want to take a moment to kind of touch upon, and this has been fantastic having you on. Maybe we could do a part two down the road somewhere and fill that, in some of the gaps that there, we missed. There, there is a lot of material I have not even touched yet. Right. Background stuff. Right. Yeah, we could do that. Definitely. Well, I, I want to thank you for being my guest for this this portion of the of the program. This time flew by; it just sailed. You know, tempest fugit. It's it's true. Time does fly. And, and what's even more interesting is, is I think I, I said this to you when we were setting this up. I'm like, maybe we should do an hour. And, and foolish me, where I've got radio gold sitting right in front right in front of me. I, I probably should have budgeted it better, but but I think that my audience will be happy to hear from a gentleman like you. Well, we can do we can do part two down the road sometime. Absolutely. There will be, be a lot of fun. The legendary Ron Dwyer, who uh, you hear him on the weekends, oldies with Ron Dwyer, and that's all the program that we have here, folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in until next week at 6.15 p.m. You've been listening to Monday Night Talk. Have a good evening.